0: This is The David Dole Show on In-Depth Radio, News Talk 1010. Welcome to The David Dole Show, your rational look at news, politics, and culture, right here on In-Depth Radio, News Talk 1010. I, of course, am your host, David Dole. And coming up on today's show, the new impaired driving laws that might subject you to a breathalyzer in your own home. I'll take your calls on that in the next segment. Also, fact-checking two major Doug Ford lies on the minimum wage and gas prices. And later on in the show, Trudeau grants a Saudi teen asylum while still supplying the nation with military vehicles and fueling the humanitarian crisis in Yemen. All that and much more coming up on The David Dole Show. But first, what's wrong with Canada's left? That's the question posed by one half of McLean's dueling magazine covers in a piece that doesn't really have much to do with the actual left. So joining by phone to share her real left-wing perspective on a number of issues is freelance journalist Nora Loretto, who also co-hosts the podcast Sandy and Nora, which you can find at SandyAndNora.com. Nora, welcome to the show. Hi, how are you doing? I'm doing great. So uh, this McLean's piece, now, <laughs> well, I, I don't want to talk too much about it because it's it's honestly kind of uh, kind of boring, but um, they have these, these dueling covers. One is uh, What's Wrong with the Right, the other is What's Wrong with the Left?, and I uh, I read the What's Wrong with the Left one. It's uh, there's like ha- half of the articles about guns for some reason. Uh, there's a, a immigration, multiculturalism, um, some economic issues uh, sprinkled in, but the whole the whole piece was really told from a, a right leaning perspective, which uh, for a lot of the Canadian media is is how they tend to approach left wing uh, issues. So,
1: mm-hmm.
0: what were your thoughts on on just that piece? Yeah,
1: I think that what they got right was the question that they posed, that there uh-huh. might be some issues with the left. And then as they started to try to answer that question, um, they, they, it fell completely flat. Maclean's um, is stuck in a, in a logic that a lot of journalists in Canada are stuck in, which is that um, that Justin Trudeau and the current Liberal Party is the left. Um, and that means that the right is the Conservative Party and uh-huh. Sheer. And there's a whole bunch of problems with that conception. And one of the biggest problems, of course, is it's not true. Um, some people immediately say, well, the old political spectrum of left and right doesn't, uh, it doesn't exist anymore. It doesn't, it's, it's not relevant. But it's, it's how we are moving the goalposts that matters, that what was considered left wing or right wing even 30 years ago is now actually kind of either considered really centrist for the, for the right. Or for the left, and then mm-hmm. to the right—it's gone. It's gone quite a bit further right. So it's um it it's set up an uh, an important question and failed to knock down any of the pins.
0: <laughs> yeah. So this is something that uh, I notice with uh, a lot in big media outlets is uh, I'm not even sure if it's. So I'm curious what your thoughts are on this. Is it? Do you think it's ignorance, or do you think it's by design? Are they purposely silencing uh, real uh, left wing perspectives, or do they? Is it just they think that. Trudeau is, is a left-winger, and, and that's kind of what they sell.
1: No. When it comes to, to someone who's, whose job is, is anal- analysis of politics, it's, it's by design. It's, it's not ignorance. I think that you do see ignorance come into play where you know, the, the education system doesn't really grapple with left-wing issues very well. A lot of left-wing issues within the education system are kind of passed off as common sense.
2: So, you know, yeah. you might
1: have more um, studies in elementary school talking about how dad might help with the housework and, and, and cooking, right? And that's mm-hmm. not a left-wing ideal. That's, that's common sense. And a lot of these things are common sense, right? A lot of left-wing ideas are common sense.
2: Yeah. Um,
1: but from the political class, from, from journalists, it's, it's quite intentional because what it does is it creates a lot of space for us to talk about the conservatives, right? The Big Ten conservative party that on one end you have the red Tories who might be embodied by someone like – uh, Kim Campbell or someone like um Michael Chong, member of uh, Parliament mm-hmm. Michael Chong for yep. Wellington Halton Hills. Uh, and then on the right wing of that big tent party you have uh you know someone who might be more like Andrew Scheer, who's a who's you know a religious conservative uh who has quite extreme conservative views really if you consider the Red Tory position which would be pro public health care and making sure people are, are, are given what they need to survive. And then on the the right of that, of course, is is the space that's been opened up by Maxime Bernier and his new political party, which is far right. So there's a lot of air that that, that gets taken up talking about the right. When the left is the Liberal Party, and of course the Liberal Party is a big tent party as well, then it completely marginalizes what's left of the Liberal Party. And as someone who's left of the NDP (laughs) Mm – It is it is so fascinating to see how mainstream political commentators and journalists not only like have no idea what's going on in the left, but have no tools to be able to explain it to the people who they're supposed to explain it to. Right. At at the very core of what their job is, it's supposed to explain these political ideas to the people who read them or who watch them and say, oh, that's interesting or, oh, I don't like that. But they don't even have the vocabulary, the analysis, the history. Um, they don't have the contacts, and it comes across, you know, as someone on the left when I read these kinds of things, as uh, as fiction. Basically.
0: Yeah. So there really is this. Uh, you kind of touched on it, where there's almost this. Um, we don't question the the system that's in place. So you describe yourself as as being left of the NDP. For people listening at home, what does uh, what would the, well. What what exactly does that does that mean?
1: Yeah, for me that that means that I'm I don't actually uh put much time into partisan politics. I think that the power that exists for for lefting movements exists outside of the formal political process. It's that our our job as as citizens to to get together and to have campaigns and to have events together and push politicians to do certain things, whether it's the NDP, the, the Liberals, or the Conservatives. Um, and I and I also I believe in in policies that the NDP either sometimes will say they agree to on paper, um, or that they don't uh, agree to on paper, like you know free education, free higher education um, policies, like nationalization, nationalizing certain Canadian industries mm-hmm. and. Um, and and a real radical transition off oil, like I you know I I'm I'm from Southern Ontario. I lived in Toronto for 10 years. I I gotta say I played today with my kids in the snow for three hours, and the snow here I live in Quebec City. There's three feet of it. Like my my kids were walking up to their waist in snow.
2: Yeah.
1: And you just think, oh my goodness, my my parents keep saying that there hasn't really snowed in in Georgetown. <laughs> you yeah. know, like so so there's there's a lot of issues that are really pressing, and and I I do believe that with political courage we can have radical transformation that doesn't leave anybody behind, that that really does make sure that someone who's working in an industry that needs to be transitioned out of existence will not be left behind. Um, But we don't have any politicians in the NDP, or certainly not the Liberals and the Conservatives, that are talking like that right now.
0: Yeah, and I think uh, the lack of having that sort of figure uh, in in media and in politics, it makes it harder to have these conversations, because it seems like they are... There are these, you know, these sideline conversations that really not many people um, uh, uh, agree with. But I think if you were to pose the ideas that you have as as what being a, a left winger in Canada means, I feel that a, a lot of people would agree with you. It's just mm-hmm. that these ideas aren't really exposed to people. So what are your thoughts on, since we touched on it, on, uh, on Jagmeet Singh and, and the, the current iteration of the NDP?
1: Oh, yeah, this has not been a good week for Singh. Uh, there's been two interviews that he's done kind of uh, with the hook of the by-election that he's running in right now, which, of course, is, is supposed to secure his seat in the House of Commons.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, and the position that he's taken, uh, number one, in favor of the LNG pipeline in in northern British Columbia, um, in favor of uh, upholding the, the quote-unquote rule of law, which uh, basically justified uh, the the RCMP cracking heads um, at the camp at uh, when uh, Mm-hmm. And, um, and yeah, it, it's, it's, it's unfortunately, it's not him alone. It's the, the trend of the party um, that has been going on for many years. It was, uh, you know, started under Jack Layden, trying to make the party sound more reasonable, sound more liberal, sound more accessible to people. But they actually managed to do the exact opposite. You know, I, I'm, in, I'm in Quebec, and there's an actual left-wing party that has seats in our provincial legislature. And yeah. the, the, the the tremendous power... That, that that this party that this group of people has to challenge corruption, to challenge, um, to to challenge bad decisions of the Liberal government, uh, to challenge the new government to uh, certainly on their on their kind of racist and xenophobic rhetoric around immigration. Uh, it it makes such a difference because it opens up these spaces for average people to say, yeah, why not free higher education? Why mm-hmm. not? Uh, you know, high-speed rail uh, that ele- that's electrified that will connect cities, uh, not just the two main cities in the province, but but, but reaching people outside of the of the urban centers. Uh, why not promise to get um, us off of combustion engine cars in in 20 years? Like, why why isn't that a completely out of the question? possibility and it's yeah. like, well then you start saying, well, Norway's done it and Norway's fine <laughs> you know exactly. not a single one of these policies doesn't exist somewhere else in the world, right? Free of higher education is the norm in a lot of um in a lot of parts of the world. Yep. And um and, and unfortunately when you don't have journalists with the perspective that these things are possible and you don't have politicians pushing these things forward as being possible, the real losers of course is, is the is the average person who's you know, how how can you know that you know, college in Quebec is free. You don't know.
0: Yeah, exactly. So uh, since we touched on Jagmeet Singh, I also want to touch on the other leaders. I want to get your thoughts on them. Uh, Prime Minister Justin Trudeau, what do you make of of uh, his government so far?
1: Oh, uh, I, I mean, <laughs> like... You see the the raging conservatives who are like, "Oh, we hate this guy." He yeah. a, a, you know, pre-boil stuff. You know, it's it's most of it's uh, a, a sexist and homophobic and all this stuff. But but the anger is how mad they are with 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 Justin Trudeau. I feel that anger. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, it, you know, he. This is a government that is into photo ops. That uh, that is that is willing to do something if it looks good in front of the camera. Um, but that doesn't do much more than that when it comes to fundamental systemic change. Uh, you know, the, the the gender parity cabinet that was a big deal in 2015, has has it material improve, materially improved the lives of women in in Canada? I'm uh, no. You know, we still don't have a national public childcare system.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, it's 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 tough because a lot of what he got elected on was fear of reelecting Stephen Harper. And I think a lot of people have been very disappointed with, with Justin Trudeau. I think um, the last couple of months have not been great months for him. Like, there's been a lot of difficult issues that he's been um, trying to navigate. And um, I think that if he wins in 2019, it'll probably be, again, out of fear for what a- Andrew Shear might might deliver. Yeah. So Andrew Shear, I don't think, will be as easily demonized as Stephen Harper.
0: Yeah, so that's uh, – because this is something I've been thinking about, th- this year's election. Because I agree with you. I think – Trudeau won because Harper was so terrible and uh, I would it's I feel like it's a year that people would be willing to vote for a different uh, different party if there was an option out there that made sense but mm-hmm. I mean <laughs> Andrew shear I mean if, if for people that don't like Trudeau I don't know how you could take Andrew Shear this guy for me is even more phony um what are your thoughts on on him and and his version of the party?
1: I, I I had the opportunity to cover uh, the leader debate when it was in Quebec City, and so that was you know there was how many members of that race, 15 people I guess, and Andrew Shear that night, and this was in French too, so it was a bit of a difficult uh, debate because uh, almost none of them spoke French or very yeah. little <laughs> spoke French. Um, Andrew Shear came across very good. Like it was hmm. after that night that I that I was able to be pretty confident in a bet, and, and I bet on him, and uh, you know. I want a beer. <laughs> <laughs> nice. Um he's he's uh he's inoffensive. He's uh got a charm. Like I'm not gonna call him charming and I don't actually want people to say, I know what you were saying <laughs> he's, yeah. he's not charming, but he has a charm to him. Um and uh and he plays very, very well to the base of the Conservative Party. Um he's the kind of person that, you know, you don't have to plug your nose and vote conservative if you're a conservative. Apparently, there are people plugging their nose uh, with Doug Ford and voting for the progressive conservatives, oh. but you don't have the same effect with Andrew Scheer. I think he's a lot more dangerous than than people than people um, are are giving him credit for, mm, okay. and you're going to see a rise of the Conservative Party in Quebec. Um, I don't know how if the rise mm. is going to be big enough uh, you know, to, to make a big difference across Canada, but it will definitely be, be bigger than the Harper years.
0: So uh, I guess the, the last leader here, or, or I don't know, kind of a leader, um, <laughs> Maxime Bernier and his uh, his White People's Party, uh, yeah. or I should say People's yeah. Party, but you know, White People's Party. Yeah. Um, what are your thoughts on on Bernier?
1: You know what, before we throw to Bernier, I have to mention Elizabeth May has been oh, doing yes, very of course. good work. Mm-hmm. Right, like I, I heard her yesterday morning on the radio, and her uh, and her intervention was very, very good. I've been more and more impressed with Elizabeth May. I've mean, I, I've never been a huge uh, fan of the Green Party, but as the party's mm-hmm. evolved and gotten gotten bigger and gotten you know its uh, sea legs, I guess <laughs> political sea legs. Yeah. Um, I've been very impressed with with, uh, with Elizabeth May, and so I think that what she offers in 2019 might be that alternative. The, the battle between the NDP and the Greens will be fascinating, mm-hmm. especially based on what happens in british columbia of course those, those two parties are kind of you know in the the battle for for government for, for yeah being left.
0: i should mention too um in 2015 uh seeing elizabeth may in a debate is the very reason i chose to uh run as a green party candidate uh for a, a, an mp spot so yeah uh, elizabeth may i think is 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 fantastic but um mm-hmm. yeah on on maxine brunier uh I don't know what are your thoughts on Bernier and Bernier, and his potential to to grow a party.
1: Yeah, Bernier is a real problem. He's a problem because he's flashy, and the, and the and the national media loves writing about him. Right? They've already done two profiles of two completely random folks that are running for his party. That you know, if all things were equal, they would never have made uh, any articles, let alone national articles. Um, Bernier. A lot of folks outside of Quebec don't know uh, he is um, uh, he represents a riding that is uh, very very white it's rural uh, it's a riding that relies on the dairy industry and his opposition to the dairy industry mm-hmm. is kind of a, a funny little fit but his father was a very popular politician and so basically what what, what Bernier has has been a riding handed to him through his father. Mm. Um, he's going to probably win. It might, it's not a sure bet, um, but and I, you know, he didn't even win the leadership in his own riding when he ran for the leadership of the Conservative Party. Mm. Um, but he is a lock on that riding, and so it would be surprising if he lost. Uh, the real question will be: Does he have another seat? Does he get another representative elected? Yeah. And um, and that's anyone's guess. You know, when you have a a person accused of, of racist hate crimes get uh, 13% of the vote in Mississauga. You know, you have a, a white nationalist get uh, you know come in third place uh, in, in the Toronto election. Um, we're mm-hmm. in we're in very scary times, and if Bernier is smart, which is by all accounts not the case, um, <laughs> he will find a popular fringe person to win a riding somewhere in Canada. And so, um, but the but the the worst impact is going to be it normalizes uh, hate speech. It's going to normalize anti-immigrant, anti-trans, homophobic sexist speech and the yeah. media is not going to know how to help themselves to not cover it.
0: Yeah. All right. Uh, before we go here, I, I have to get your thoughts on, on Doug Ford because he's just such <laughs> a, a character. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So uh, what, what are your overall thoughts on, on Ford and, and what he's done so far?
1: Oh my goodness. I, I mean, I think that, uh, that we've only started to see the, the, the beginning of what's, what's to come. And I think that, that the province is going to be in for a fight I think that people have to figure out how to fight against the privatization of the healthcare system, the overhaul of the education system that is surely coming. He's going to gut workers' rights. That's that's, you know, all of this is you know anyone's guess. But based on what's already happened in the last six months, it's pretty clear that he's looking to slash and burn and, and really hurt people in the province. Um, the the thing that I'm just constantly in 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 sorrow over is how many Conservatives thought that it would be okay. And at some level, like, you know, we've got Amanda Amanda Simard who left the party uh, over uh, standing up for for Franco-Ontarian rights. That's not enough. Like there has to be a reckoning, public reckoning, of people who are members of the Progressive Conservative Party to say we don't support this. Mm-hmm. Because unless you want to see another Walkerton, unless you want to see another, um, another death of of of, of, of from social services uh, or, or social assistance, like what happened with that woman named named Kim in Sudbury um, in, in, under Mike Harris, this will happen again, and it will be even worse, and it'll be even harder to undo. So. Mm-hmm. I am happy to not be in Ontario <laughs> yeah, uh, only I because that. I know the fight back seems like it's impossible, but it it has to happen.
0: Mm-hmm. Um, well, one more question before we go, actually. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, what, what do you think people at home can do to kind of help change the conversation and um, – Pull the conversation more towards the left as, as uh, you know, as you describe right now, people think that Trudeau is left when he is not. What can people at home do? Do you think uh, getting involved in politics is the answer or activism is the answer? What are your thoughts?
1: Oh, yeah, I, I think that you have to take stock about what, what kind of access you have. So are you in a community where there's um, a campaign against something that you're interested in? Get involved, go to those meetings, meet new people. Um, if there is an, is an issue like anything from saving your library to fighting the cuts uh, at your local hospital, you know you can start. Uh, you can start a-, a committee. You can you can do that thing by word of mouth through Facebook. You can rent rooms for free, usually in your local library. Get get active in some way. And you know, be in touch with the journalists that you read. I think uh, people don't necessarily think that they can email the people that they read. Um, as someone that gets emails all the time, I can tell you they're like 100% really angry people who hate me. <laughs> um, and so, it, but if I'm engaged in a way in good faith with someone saying, "Oh, I don't know why you, you know, did you know about this? You know, left-wing perspective that, that doesn't seem to get into your articles." You know, you can engage with with folks, mm. especially if it's a smaller uh, newspaper or, or a local radio station, local television station. So have your have your voice heard. Make your voice heard, because there's an angry, angry group of right wing folks um, within this country that are making their voice heard, and they yes. are they're making an impact. Unfortunately, on on how we're covering and what we're covering in this country.
0: Yep. All right. Uh, Nora Loretto is a freelance journalist and co-host of the podcast Sandy and Nora, which you can find at sandyandnora.com. Nora, thanks for joining me.
1: Thanks for the invite.
0: No problem. Coming up next, the Canadian government's stricter impaired driving laws that allow the police to demand a breathalyzer test even in your own home. Is this a threat to our freedom or just cops doing their jobs? I want to hear your thoughts on this. Give me a call at 416-872-1010. You can also text me at 71010. This is The David Dole Show on In-Depth Radio News Talk 1010. Welcome back to the David Dole show on News Talk 1010. Welcome back to the David Dole show, your rational look at news, politics and culture right here on In-Depth Radio News Talk 1010. Ever come home from a tough day at work and want a drink? Well, you uh, better be careful because under federal bill uh, C-46, uh, which came into effect last month, police can now demand a breath sample from you in your own home within two hours after you've stopped driving. So is this a threat to our freedom or just cops doing their job? I wanna hear your thoughts on this. Give me a call at 416-872-1010. You can also text me at 71010. So uh, these new rules essentially mean that you can come home completely sober, spend the next hour and a half getting plastered, and you know, who among us hasn't done that once or twice? And uh, the police can come to your door and demand a a breath sample. And these new rules are not restricted to just your home. It can be anywhere, a bar, a restaurant, a store, in public. Police no longer need reasonable suspicion to suspect you are impaired and demand a breath sample. Now we have a uh, caller, Rex. uh, You're on the line? Hello, David. Hey. I
3: just wanted to confirm with you. I was just talking to your producer there. Is that the law? That they can just come into your house if you're impaired, if you're in your driveway. And so yeah, this was
0: this was passed last month. Uh, this this is is now on the books. Um, I feel like it, it'll be questioned if anybody's actually ever uh, uh, forced to do this, but um, yeah, it's it's on the books.
3: Wow, I would beat any man silly if they came into my house if I was in my house and just walked in. Like,
0: well, well to be fair, they can't. I mean, they can't force themselves into your home, but if you open the door and they ask for a breathalyzer, then yeah. They they okay. can demand a breathalyzer. So,
3: as we all know, there's no law that says you have to open the door. So, in other words, if you don't open the door, then you're okay. you they, they, they don't. Yeah, open
0: it. yeah. At, at, at least it seems that way. But um, also, I mean, this also applies if you're in a bar, if you're in public. So it it can essentially happen anywhere. Uh, uh, an officer may suspect you you were just driving and you uh, you were drinking.
3: I'm all for, you know, mad Canada and, and, you know, not drinking. I'm 100% all for that, but absolutely thumbs down on this. Thanks for uh, taking my call, though.
0: Yeah, no problem. Uh, We have uh, Daniel. Uh, What are your thoughts on this? Daniel?
3: Hey, how's it going?
0: Hey, how are you? What are your thoughts on uh, on police? First
3: time caller here. uh, Oh, no problem. Basically, in uh, in my opinion... It doesn't seem right that the cops should be able to come into your house after you've had a long day of work and just start breathalyzing you just based off of the suspicion that the cops, who are human beings, they they don't know what's going on. They don't know what's happening throughout your day. They don't know that you were just at a bar. What's going to make them come to your house and breathalyze you when you're in your own home? I just finished the day of work. Somebody has a grudge against me. They called in to the cops. Um, you know, they they don't they want me to get caught. I had a beer when I came home, and suddenly I'm going to get charged with drinking and driving. Mm-hmm. Where where's the fairness in this? What happened to our civil rights? What happened to the you know being able to be in your own home and be your own, do what you want in your own home?
0: Yeah, I completely agree with you, and and that's a great point. If someone has a grudge against you and they they know you're driving home and they just want to uh I don't know get you in trouble. The, I guess that's definitely a potential. And the thing is, too, if you refuse the breathalyzer, uh, you can also be held uh, responsible in terms of your, your license can be taken away, you can be fined, uh, you can go to jail. So it's it's getting really extreme. and uh, But at the same time, I feel like, this will and can be or this can and will be challenged in court if it ever comes down to it but
3: uh 100%. this is this i can only imagine then when it does happen to that first person who's going to get charged Then it's going to be under whatever circumstances If they were drinking and driving at the time whatever the case was i'm sure that this will be taken and appealed in a superior court of of the sorts because this just doesn't this is in canada i don't i grew up i'm only 24 years old and i i grew up you know it's okay to have a beer at the end of the day i work in construction it's common for me to get together with my buddies and yeah, they come course. over to my house we have a beer and what somebody now is going to come and uh, police is going to knock on my door and they're going to demand a fertilizer test on my time on my in my own property but mm-hmm. there's no there's no where's that sense of freedom yeah now, don't get me wrong drinking and driving is completely wrong it's shouldn't, I'm glad that they, they enforce even, I'm I'm for the, if you're, the cops should be able to breathalyze you whenever they want. I think it's a little beyond. I, I don't appreciate that, but you know what, I do understand where they're coming from, but coming into your house after, the fact, just because they assume, cops shouldn't be allowed to assume. Cops are there to put the, to make sure that On the road in public places, people are doing like are abiding by the laws in your house. Fine, if there's there's different laws for what cops could do, if in your house, but now being able to test you in your own property after you've already driven, you've already done the deed, Mm -hmm. you're already home. I don't believe that they should be able to uh, come into your house and death Oh,
0: great. Uh, Thank you, Daniel, for for the call. Um, Yeah, so I mean, this uh, as a Daniel there was saying, this essentially means the onus is no longer on the police to prove that your blood alcohol uh, concentration was over the legal limit. In fact, the onus is now on you to prove that it isn't. And uh, as I uh, discussed there briefly, so uh, refusing the breathalyzer now means that you could be uh, arrested, face a criminal record, ordered to pay a fine, and subjected to a driving suspension. So... I think this clearly goes uh, above and beyond, but uh, what are your thoughts? Is this uh, a threat to our freedom or are cops just doing their job? I want to hear from you at 416-872-1010. You can also text me at 71010. Canadian criminal defense lawyer, Brooke Johnson, said this is, quote, a terrifying, absolutely ridiculous, and uh, only the beginning of the issues stemming from Bill C-46. So I've discussed all the negatives, and I mean, clearly, it's all. I think it's all negative, but What's the argument for these sorts of rules? So uh, speaking of Parliament, Federal Justice Minister Jody Wilson-Raybould said, quote, Its primary purpose is to eliminate risky behavior associated with bullish drinking, sometimes referred to as drinking and dashing. So uh, according to the Liberals, its primary purpose is to crack down on drinkers who consume a ton of alcohol in a short time and then... Drive home, hoping to get home before the alcohol is fully absorbed into their system. Now, I have to be honest. When I read this, I uh, didn't know this was even a thing. Uh, I don't know what the point of drinking is, if it's only going to hit you after you arrive home. I mean, you might as well enjoy the night out and then call a cab home. But uh, we have a call from uh, Preet. Uh, what are your thoughts on this, Preet?
4: Um, I agree with your uh previous caller, I don't know if if he was the one that was just before me, but he was saying that, and I agree with him, I'm all for them asking for samples uh, without cost because you're looking for people that have broken the law on the road while doing it. There's no, it just doesn't make sense for police to come to your home and within your privacy, and again, we all know that we all whatever happens once we get home and we shut the door is our business and nobody else's. Mm-hmm. But again, like we said, if you're going to take this to the law and you're going to appeal it, only the lucky people that have the money are going to be able to do that.
0: Yeah. That's a great it's point.
4: Be, and for somebody who honest is an honest person that comes home and has a drink or two, and then is subject to provide a sample, they may not have the money to be able to take it to a lawyer and then prove it, in court to say that this isn't right, so I, that's personally why I don't agree with
0: it. Great, thanks, Preet. Yeah, that's a, a great point. So this is, a, and that's actually an important piece that I haven't mentioned yet. It's how these kinds of laws disproportionately affect minorities and people of color. So a report out last month showed that Toronto police continue to disproportionately shoot, kill, and use force on Black people, with Black people representing only 8.8 percent of the city's population. They make up 30% of the police use of force incidents that result in serious injury or death, 60% of deadly encounters with police, and 70% of fatal police shootings, and that's according to uh, data from 2013 to 2017. And uh, as an example, one report detailed a case of mistaken identity where a black teenager was arrested by police at school and his family's apartment searched after the 14-year-old was uh, caught running through his neighborhood playing a game with friends. So the police stopped him and arrested him because they thought he might be carrying a gun and fleeing the scene of a crime. This is the, uh, uh, part of the inherent bias and racism that exists within many people, including police officers, where black people are not given the benefit of the doubt. And that will extend to these expanded impaired driving laws as well. But as I said, I feel like this is clearly unconstitutional. So if it were ever challenged, I don't possibly know how this would be able to stand up in court. Coming up next, fact-checking to major Doug Ford lies. This is The David Dole Show on In-Depth Radio, News Talk 1010. The David Dole Show continues on News Talk 1010. Welcome back to The David Dole Show, your rational look at news, politics, and culture, right here on In-Depth Radio, News Talk 1010. Doug Ford has a, uh, a complicated relationship with the truth. Uh, now, I can follow that sentence up with any number of things, sex education, cap and trade, selling off the greenbelt. But uh, what I want to focus on right now are two topics in particular, the minimum wage and gas prices. So north99.org broke this down, and I'm going to help break it down for you. So you've heard it. Doug Ford claims that the higher minimum wage at $14 an hour kills jobs. In fact, even the Ontario Chamber of Commerce argued a higher wage would put 185,000 jobs at risk, And following the minimum wage uh, raise last year, Doug Ford argued that Ontario lost 90,000 jobs since the minimum wage was raised to $14 an hour on January 1st, 2018. So is it true? No. And uh, (laughs) it's not really clear where Doug got his figures from. Now, because so many conservatives get triggered when I explain reality to them, I'm going to start off by saying that facts don't care about your feelings. So here are the facts. Statis- uh, Statistics Canada, which works purely off data, shows that unemployment has stayed consistent at under 6%. And from January 2018 to July 2018, when the $14 uh, an hour minimum wage was in effect, Ontario's jobless rates fell to 5.4%, the lowest it's been since the year 2000. Moreover... Stats Canada found that in the service sector, the jobs thought to be most impacted by the minimum wage increase grew by 1.3 percent compared to the national average of 1.2 percent. Not enough facts for you. Well, critics also argued that youth unemployment would go up. But according to Stats Canada, youth unemployment in Ontario has stayed the same since July of 2017. Now, in addition to Stats Canada, uh, Scotia Bank and the National Bank uh, of Canada both found no impact of a higher minimum wage. Now, before I get to the gas stuff, I also just want to uh, comment here that apart from the potential impact on, on jobs that people always worry about, I think it's actually more important that people are able to afford to live. So let's say there was an impact on jobs. Let's say that Doug Ford's right. Let's pretend that Ontario lost 90,000 jobs even though they didn't. But let's pretend that that happened. I don't care. (laughs) So the minimum wage, I mean, the the, the unemployment rate, there's a way to get it to zero, to, to 0%. And that's by having no minimum wage. But you know what happens in that case? People are making, or would be making, even less money. People are already having a tough time affording rent affording food, affording their phone bill, their internet bills, whatever it is, their car bills. So the idea that we should be so focused on the unemployment rate and not on how people are actually able to afford their everyday life, to me, I just don't get it. We need a a new set of metrics to really, to be more focused on over something like the unemployment rate, which again, doesn't really give you a clear idea of how Uh, everyday people are impacted so again a higher minimum wage does not make you or does not cause us to to lose jobs and in fact in our case has actually uh, been a a boon to our to our economy and to the unemployment Um, but now on gas prices so this other lie that Doug Ford uh, is enjoying Doug Ford and and the conservatives so uh, they're taking credit for lowering Ontario gas prices claiming that ending the cap and trade system lowered gas prices across the province. So, is it true? No. This is the perfect example of how correlation does not equal causation. Now, have gas prices fallen across the province? Yes, you'd be blind not to see it. I mean, I was amazed last week when I was uh, or, or a couple weeks ago when uh, I was uh up north and gas was actually uh, uh under a dollar. But if uh If cancelling the cap-and-trade in Ontario was the reasoning for it, then why are gas prices down all across the country? So data from uh, GasBuddy, a site that measures gas prices, shows that lower gas prices are not an Ontario-only phenomenon. In fact, prices are falling all across Canada, and Ontario is trending with the rest of Canadian gas prices, with Manitoba, Quebec, and PEI also seeing the cost of gasoline falling. So... If gas is cheaper and it's not because of the cap-and-trade, then why is gas cheaper? Well, there's a couple of uh, a, a couple main reasons. So first, this is a, a weird fact that I didn't really know till I <laughs> till I learned it recently. Winter gas is a cheaper blend and less costly to produce than summer gas. So that's one factor why gas prices are down right now. But another more important factor is the collapsing cost of oil. So You have Saudi Arabia uh, undercutting the market with cheaper oil, and now Alberta is set to reduce oil production this year as a plan to increase prices. So getting rid of Ontario's cap-and-trade system has very little impact on gas prices, while also setting us up for continued disaster around the effects of the climate crisis. Now, Doug Ford with these various lies, and I mean, I could really go all day on <laughs> all sorts of lies Doug Ford has told, and I have in the past, but uh, I think it's important to, to understand how our politicians, how our governments distract us. So while Doug Ford is freezing wages, he says, oh, but look, I, I cut your, your income tax for, for those making uh, the minimum wage. Yeah, but that doesn't offset the difference. So if the wages were raised to $15 an hour, which, by the way, would impact you even if you weren't making the minimum wage, most people would see an increase in their wages, you'd be making more money at $15 an hour than you uh, will be keeping with the, the cut in the income tax. And also, in terms of the distractions aspect, I mean, this is what Duck Ford does. So he distracts with cutting the beer tax or dollar beer. <laughs> Every time I see these, these two... Uh... <laughs> These two policies just on beer, it's, it's, it's funny to me because I guess it works on his base, but I don't know who else it works on. But yeah, so cutting the beer tax, dollar beer, but also um, this idea of fiscal responsibility. So Doug Ford's government, a lot of people don't know this. They gave the highest tax bracket an extra $275 million a year while claiming that they have to make all these cuts because they have to be fiscally responsible. Just complete Bull crap. So understand how our government distracts us by freezing wages, by impacting your life, by making cuts to, to public services, while giving themselves a boost by giving the highest tax bracket an extra $275 million a year. Coming up next, Trudeau grants a Saudi teen asylum while still supplying the nation with arms and fueling the humanitarian crisis in Yemen. This is The David Dole Show on In-Depth Radio, News Talk 1010. Welcome back to The David Dole Show on News Talk 1010. Welcome back to The David Dole Show, your rational look at news, politics and culture, right here on In-Depth Radio News Talk 1010. Granted asylum in Canada, Saudi teen Rahaf Mohammed al landed in Toronto on Saturday after fleeing abuse in her home, home uh, in her home country, where al says her father physically uh, abused her and tried to force her into an arranged marriage. So fighting deportation back to uh, Saudi Arabia, the 18-year-old barricaded herself in a hotel room in Thailand while grabbing the attention of a global audience on Twitter, where she now uh, has over 170,000 followers, last I checked. Now, uh, a Toronto-based nonprofit that helps newly arrived immigrants and refugees will be helping al Kanoon adjust to Canadian life, where she has access to government assistance for up to 12 months. Now, first off, I want to say that I think this story is awesome. One of the reasons, one of the big reasons I love Canada is because of how welcoming uh, we can be to, to refugees. This country was built on multiculturalism and it continues making us a stronger nation today. But this story also highlights a serious blind spot that the Liberal government has. So this was tweeted out by my earlier guest, Nora Loretto, and uh, I think it, sums, it up, uh, sums up the problem pretty well. Quote, Trudeau granting asylum to Rahaf Mohammed Al-Khanoun while sending the RCMP into Wet'suwet'en land and allowing the sale of light-armored vehicles to Saudi Arabia sums up liberalism in Canada perfectly. Bingo. Taking in an asylum seeker in a high-profile case like this is, of course, yes, a great move. But it's also something that we shouldn't have to congratulate ourselves over. I mean, this is our duty. This is what we should be doing. So... uh, this doesn't excuse the the, the liberal government from selling light-armored vehicles to the Saudis for their use uh, in a war against Yemen, which, according to the UN, tops the list of worst humanitarian disasters worldwide. In fact, it's estimated that more than 80,000 Yemeni children have died from hunger due to the Saudi-led war that we're helping to create. Now, Trudeau has signaled that he wants to end those sales, but there hasn't been anything concrete yet. So to use this, I mean, seeing Christia Freeland uh, welcoming the the teen in Saudi Arabia and all, or the teen, um, the the Saudi teen to Canada, and all the cameras around her and all the media attention. I, on one hand, I get it, right? Like it 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 makes sense. This is this was a this became a, a high profile case, and we did uh, accept this this teen. Uh, we did um, accept her uh, asylum case, but. This shouldn't be this big PR thing for, for the Trudeau Liberals. I mean, this is, again, this is our duty. This is what, this is exactly what we should be doing. Now, on the other, uh, on the other part of that, that tweet that uh, Nora Loretta put out, she also mentioned the, uh, the issue on the uh, Wet'suwet'en land. So uh, last week the RCMP arrested 14 anti-pipeline protesters in Northern BC on Wet'suwet'en First Nations territory over preparations for the construction of a pipeline. Now, there was a tweet that I saw go out about this that really, it, it hit me in a way that made me realize how serious this is. So this tweet went out from uh, Billy Arma on Twitter. He said, uh, Canada brought in shotguns to remove a peaceful unarmed Wet'suwet'en people from their own land and force a fracking pipeline across it with their consent. This is what we're worried about uh, with white nationalist Bolsonaro doing in Brazil. But it's happening right now in Canada. So if you don't know, uh, Jair Bolsonaro is the new president in, uh, in Brazil, and he is planning to sell off the Amazon to the highest bidder and essentially rip the rights of those lands away from the indigenous communities there in Brazil in the Amazon and give it away for, for cash. Now, that is what we're doing here. And we, I mean, we don't have a fascist leader. Jair Bolsonaro is a fascist in Brazil, yet we are doing the exact same thing with our people, with our land, to indigenous communities here in our country. Now, there are some, I mean, I should be fair, there are some reasons why the RCMP felt they had the authority to do this. So the Mounties were enforcing a December 14th court injunction giving Coastal GasLink, a subsidiary of uh, TransCanada Corp., access to the road where with student people opposed to the pipeline had erected a a checkpoint. So um, Coastal GasLink got its uh, environmental certification uh, for the pipeline in 2014 and uh, TransCanada had signed the project uh, agreements with 20 First Nation groups along the route. But that's not the full story. So people think that or see that and think, hey, okay, so they had the legal uh, reason to, to be able to go in there and arrest these people. But, Actually, under the hereditary chiefs, uh, they said that under Wet'suwet'en law, the band councils who signed away that land don't have the authority or jurisdiction over what happens in the nation's territory. They're, quote, not the title holders or the caretakers of the land. The hereditary chiefs are, said uh, Madik, who was one of those chiefs. So this is, again, we have this idea where we think we can just take people's lands— and run a pipeline through it because the government said so. When in reality, that land was signed away under false pretenses. So we have to understand, when we, when we have these great moments, like taking in a, a, an asylum seeker, understand the other side of that and how it's not telling you the full story. So you can follow me on Twitter at David Dole, last name spelled D-O-E-L. And visit me on YouTube at therationalnational.com. Thanks for listening to The David Dole Show on In-Depth Radio News Talk 1010.